Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 24th of May, 2021. This is episode 424 of Bitcoin, and we're going to talk about it. We're, we're going to have to. we got to address this shit. We had a major, you know, a major events occur over the weekend, and when you take it in tandem with the all the bullshit basically starting with Elon Musk is sort of where it started, and that was what we're getting on you know, over two weeks, you know, since that bullshit happened, we've seen what I, I'm going to go ahead and call it as one of the major events in the Bitcoin history timeline. Uh, and this is probably going to be alongside Mount Gox. It's going to be alongside the block size wars. It's going to be alongside all of that, all right, as, as far as importance and how indelibly marked it becomes in the history of Bitcoin. So it would behoove us to get, you know, to a, you know, to basically to gird our loins and get our stomach used to, you know, eating some broken glass again is what I told my sister is that if you can't pretend you're a goat and eat broken glass and stomach it, then this is not the asset you were looking for. And I tell this to all the people. It's like, it's like, yes, it is a great, it's a great asset. It does all these cool things. But it'll also give you a serious bout of indigestion if you're not terribly careful as to what it is your expectations are, what your timeline is or will be in the future. So again, it's one of those things where it's like, dude, if you can't gird your loins and munch on broken glass, this is not your asset, pal. So let's, uh, let's I want to preface today by saying that what happened over this weekend, again, in tandem with <clears throat> uh, starting with the whole Elon Musk thing, but really was this weekend that was the most important one, was because so many different pieces of FUD came out about Bitcoin uh, and, not, and most of it actually was not the China ban. So we're, we're going to start with the China FUD. <clears throat> you know, China bans Bitcoin again. And for all you newbies out there, um, th- it's not like this is the first time this has happened. All right. If you're surprised by that statement, you got to go back into the history of Bitcoin. I've been in since late summer, all right, September, essentially, of 2015. Do you have any idea how many times I've seen China FUD crash the Bitcoin price? I can't even count. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. So it wasn't just that what I'm getting at is that it wasn't just China. There was other things <clears throat> that all came out. And that leads me to a theory, which we'll get to later. But right now we're going to start with Thomas M. writing for BTC Times. Bitcoin mining firms react 
to China's announced crackdown. Oh, they're cracking down again. Bitcoin mining firms BTC Top and Huobi Mall have reacted to recent developments surrounding Bitcoin mining in China. <clears throat> the move comes after a statement was published by the Financial Stability and Development Committee of China's State Central Council, uh, summarizing a state council meeting held by Vice Premier Liu He that called for steps against mining in the country. As part of the committee's commitment to control financial risk, the statement notes the, the, the need for China to crack down on Bitcoin mining and trading behavior and prevent individual risk from being passed to society. So they've coordinated it within their own, within the own C, their own CCP here. A follow-up has been anticipated across the wider Bitcoin space, considering the news was made public at the end of the work week. On Monday, Reuters reported that a number of Bitcoin miners are shutting down their China operations and looking elsewhere. <clears throat> now, before you freak out, we've got more news about this shit. So you, you got you to gotta just go through this news so that we can get to the other news so that we can start putting together a picture of what's actually going on here. Huobi Mall, part of a cryptocurrency exchange or part of cryptocurrency exchange Huobi, has been reported as one of the firms halting its mining operations in China. However, in its Telegram group, the firm spoke of an editing error by the media and stated that, quote, the custody business of Huobi Mining Machine Mall is currently suspended and the mining pool business is business as usual, end quote. Reuters further reported that Huobi Mall said via its Telegram group it was, quote, contacting overseas service providers to pave the way for exports of mining rigs in the future, end quote, and that it asked its community not to worry. The BTC Times was not, was not able to verify this quote. BTC top founder Zhizhang Zuer, meanwhile, wrote on Weibo that he believed the current situation was, quote, not as bad as everyone thinks, end quote. He said the news meant that individual mining is allowed, but financial capital is not allowed to intervene as losses could lead to social risks. Jiang further predicted that mining in China would continue in the future, but in private households rather than through large mining firms. Responding to a user question <clears throat> regarding the availability of BTC Top's cloud mining business, Zhang said that it would no longer be available in mainland China. He added that cloud mining only accounted for a very small part of the firm's miners and that the risk, therefore, wasn't worth it. <clears throat> Quote, in the future, we will mainly deploy mining farms in North America, he wrote. <laughs> That's what's called jurisdictional arbitrage, people. Jiang further predicted that eventually China will lose crypto computing power to foreign markets. Over the past few years, the Bitcoin hash rate previously centered on China with over 70%, which has never been a true number, has been seeing decentralization into other jurisdictions with the U.S. and Kazakhstan among the nations recording the highest percentage gains in hash rate since 2019, according to the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance's Bitcoin mining map. This trend may see acceleration now that China appears to be actively looking to move mining out of the country. Okay, <laughs> so the takeaways here is that the news is not as bad as China makes it out to, you know, out to be. And this always happens with China FUD. Because what, so here, what happens with China FUD? The Chinese, you know, Communist Party releases a statement in Chinese, which is notoriously hard 
for even professional translators to get the meaning, the true meaning across. It's you're 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 going from you're going from a language that has a completely different context about why you're using language to communicate with each other than almost anywhere else on the face of the planet. All right. You've got, for example, a tweet has like, like way back in the day, a tweet had 140 characters or something around that. And then they, or 120, and then they doubled it to 240 or something like that a couple of years back. Now, before they doubled it and you still only had the 120 character limit, there was a story about a guy in China who wrote an entire novel in a single tweet. Why? Because the Chinese characters are able to convey a shit ton of meaning in a single character. Now, you're talking about a language structure that is very much different than a lot of the other languages on the face of the planet. So you're, you're going to get the same kind of thing with like, you know, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, these things that are kanji based and have characters that are, you know, that are a hell of a lot more than just A, B, C, D. Chinese, <clears throat> or these characters have a lot a, they, they can contain a shit ton of information. Therefore, translating Chinese into English is a notoriously hard and difficult task to do. It's even harder to get it right. It takes several passes of translators and other translators translating those translations until it finally gets into a form in which can be readily digestible by the West. And that's what always happens. The first translated statement from the Chinese Communist Party sounds scary as fuck, and it's not all that scary. And that's, you always have to wait 24, 48, 72 hours for a whole bunch of people that know how to read Chinese, know how to take these translations, and then have been have been living in the West for enough time to be able to recontextualize what was said. This is a difficult process. So every time that you see the very first statement from the CCP about anything, you need to wait, sit on your hands for 72 hours before you know what they actually said because of context, because of differences in language. It's really important, people, that you don't jump the gun on all this crap. As we've seen, even these guys are fighting, these guys from Huobi are going, dude, it's not as bad as you think. And here's why. It it just it just takes a while. So honestly, guys, <clears throat> honestly, we gotta we gotta calm down a little bit. All right. So don't don't completely always freak out. And in fact, we have endthefud.com and i don't know if this is dennis parker's outfit or not or, or zen tags that's at z or at z at x-e-n-t-a-g-z aka dennis parker he tweeted it out he says tired of old debunked bitcoin fud visit endthefud.org and wants us to retweet it <clears throat> Well, in the FUD, if I go there, in the FUD.org is a large list 
of FUD and how it's been debunked, okay? Like for instance, under energy, there's Bitcoin waste energy as a subheading. And then there's like 15 articles about how that's not true. Under uses more energy than Visa per transaction, there's six articles of how that's not true. Uses dirty non-renewable energy, there's seven or eight articles on how that's not true. Bitcoin versus gold mining just, just sort of takes us on the, you know, these articles take us on the route of just how dirty gold mining is. And then we get to altcoins and how altcoins is going to end Bitcoin. There is no amount or there's no end to the amount of articles here as to why that's all bullshit. Justice as a heading is how it's not a Ponzi scheme or bit or how it's a Ponzi scheme and how that's debunked. Bitcoin is for criminals. It goes on and on and on and on. So if you want to start brushing up on how to get through the FUD, if, especially if you're new, if you're anywhere close to new to this space, you need this resource more than I need this resource, right? It's not because I know more than you, it's just experience. I've, I've lived through this on so many occasions, I can't even, I can't even count anymore, man. So FUD is always going to happen. And it's going to get worse. You're going to need to be able to deal with it. The only way, this ends one of two ways, people. We either get a decentralized currency whose power is basically put in the hands of the citizenry of the world, or we end up with the same bullshit that has already wrecked this planet over the last 50 years, and actually longer, but it really accelerated when Nixon took us off the gold standard exactly 50 years ago. That's, th those are our two choices. There, there is no in-between. Because like, like for those who say, yeah, but Ethereum, yeah, let me tell you something about Ethereum. That's going to end up being centralized. <clears throat> and because the comptrollers of the system are actual people that have actual addresses, and want money, and we know we know Vitalik wants money. Why? Because he sold fifty-five million dollars worth of Ethereum, like at the at the top. Like uh, I think it was like Thursday or Friday or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He didn't stake it; sold it for cash. He's going to centralize that system because he's he's able to be he's able to have pressure put on him by the powers that be. And if you don't think that the pressure that those uh, powers that be haven't already put the thumb on his head, you're naive. And you really need to learn that there are evil people in the world. They do exist and they are in power and they have no, absolutely no compunction to letting that power go. I'm telling you, man, this, this is going to be a thing. So for those that say, well, Ethereum will save us because, you know, it, it won't use anywhere near the electricity as, as Bitcoin. And it's a, it's a decentralized currency. Again, you're naive. It will be centralized. It's already centralized enough. But once they move over to proof of stake, it's going to get even worse. So uh, there, there's, <clears throat> there's no hope there. It just turns into what we already have just a, a, like a, a truly digital version of it, but it's not even going to be decentralized. You'll never be able, you can't run a node now. And if you think you're going to be able to run a node on proof of stake, there will be no node to run. You'll have to stake. And unless you've got 32 or 64 Ethereum just chilling out 
you know, ready to do that, you ain't going to be able to do it. And even if you did, you're going to be one of the smallest staking pools on the face of the planet, and you're not going to get anything out of it. You're just going to have put up, locked up 32, 64, or whatever Ethereum. And the who's really going to stake is going to be the exchanges because they hold a shit ton of Ethereum, and they're going to put a letter out saying to all the people that have put their Ethereum on, like, I don't know, Bitfinex or something like that, they're going to send a letter and they're going to say, hey, you have an option to stake your Ethereum with us as a giant pool. And they're going to do it. And these massive, massive exchanges are going to be the people that are actually in control. And guess what? They have addresses that people can go, like the feds from the United States and the UK, they can go knock on their door and start putting pressure on them. And unless Bitfinex has been building an army and Navy and Air Force and, you know, and a Marine Corps back in the background, then the people from the federal government of the United States and the UK are going to have a shit ton more armament than Bitfinex will. And, And Bitfinex will crumble, they will fold, and they will do exactly what the UK and the federal government tells them to do. I'm just telling you, man, this is just the way this shit's going to work. All right, continuing with uh, China, let's talk a little bit about the history. Some of the stuff that I've seen over the years. Again, this is by Thomas M. from BTC Times, entitled China's History of Bitcoin Bans. Like clockwork, China has released a number of statements over the past few days that shook the markets and, in part, the public perception of Bitcoin. Why like clockwork? Because among many longtime hodlers, the announcement has invoked memories from the past few years, which have seen numerous warnings, restrictions, and bans from China. In fact, China's history of Bitcoin bans dates back to 2013. In a joint notice issued in early December of 2013 by the People's Bank of China, the country's financial watchdogs and its IT ministry, a ban was imposed that prohibited banks from handling Bitcoin transactions. The reason cited for the ban was that Bitcoin is not backed by any nation or central authority. While individuals were still allowed to engage in Bitcoin trading, the PBOC hinted at plans to further regulate cryptocurrency exchanges in the future. And sure enough, less than two weeks later, BTC China, at the time the world's largest exchange by trading volume, surprisingly stopped accepting deposits in Chinese yuan after the PBOC had allegedly asked Chinese payment processors to cease engaging with crypto exchanges in the country by the end of the year. Similarly to what Bitcoin hodlers are facing at the moment, the news triggered a drop in the Bitcoin price from more than $1,100 on November the 30th to $559 the following December 18th. Now, let's look at 2017. Fast forward four years in the middle of another bull run, China yet again dampened the market sentiment. In September of 2017, it was made public that local exchanges in the country had been ordered to cease operations. The move followed a warning by the PBOC against exchanges in January 2017, which had foreshadowed as much. On September the 14th, BTCC announced that it would shut down by the end of the month. A website by the PBOC stated at the time that cryptocurrencies were being increasingly used as a tool in criminal activities, such as money laundering, drug trafficking, smuggling, and illegal fundraising. Again, the news sent Bitcoin tumbling, this time from around $4,200 on September the 9th 
to $3,100 on September the 14th. As is well known, Bitcoin was to hit a new all-time high above 19000 just three months later. Once local exchanges have been put out of business, citizens turn to overseas exchanges, often accessing them via VPNs. Let's go to 2019. A draft published by the National Development and Reform Commission in April of 2019 sought the public's opinion on a list of industries it wanted to promote or restrict. Among those it wanted to phase out, Bitcoin mining, which it said was among the sectors that did not adhere to relevant laws and regulations were unsafe or polluted the environment. Yet, half a year later when the final plan was published, Bitcoin mining had been removed from that list. 2021, here we are today. The latest news from China comes at what many Bitcoiners may see as an inconvenient time. No shit, bro. As Bitcoin has already been battling intensified criticism and a short-term price drop following Tesla chief executive Elon Musk's weekend of Bitcoin complaints. After a reiteration by China's Internet Finance Association, Banking Association, and Payment and Settlement Association of China's 2017 stance on Bitcoin was widely misinterpreted as a new Bitcoin ban. The Financial Stability and Development Committee of China's State Council followed the announcement up with a new statement summarizing a State Council meeting by Vice Premier Liu He. As part of the committee's commitment to control financial risk, the statement notes the need for China to crack down on Bitcoin mining and trading behavior and prevent individual risk from being passed to society. While it is not clear what consequences the statement will have, a ban on Bitcoin mining in the country doesn't seem impossible given China's recent crackdown on mining in the Inner Mongolia region. Although some have pointed out that the recent drop in Bitcoin's hash rate from its all-time highs of around 180 exahashes per second to 151 exahashes per second at press time as a direct consequence of the news, it remains to be seen what effect China's latest warning will actually have. In fact, Bitcoin's hash rate appears to have been on the downward trend since May 15th, several days before the announcement. Blockstream CEO uh, Dr. Adam Back noted that it might be related to miners moving their equipment for the upcoming rainy season in the country. <clears throat> China's latest statement was issued directly by a State Department and emphasized by its vice premier, which matters, according to Primitive or Primitive Ventures founding partner Dovey Wan, quote, the seriousness of news is definitely more so than normal China FUD, Wan tweeted on Friday, citing the high profile of the sources sharing the announcement. She further predicted a sizable drop in hash rate in the near future as a reaction to the news, as well as further clarification coming from the Chinese government in the next few weeks. Yet China's long history of Bitcoin controversy and often blurry stance on the asset has left many wondering what to expect from the developments. And not everyone is worried by the prospect of a blanket ban on mining in China. Castle Island Ventures general partner Nick Carter shared a previous tweet on the occasion reiterating that a mining ban would be good for Bitcoin in multiple ways. Among them, Carter listed accelerated hash rate decentralization, higher margins for U.S.-based miners, and decarbonization of Bitcoin mining as hash rate would be located or relocated likely to renewable energy sources. China hosts the majority of Bitcoin hash rate, around 65% of it at the end of 2020, according to the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance's Bitcoin mining map. 
While that in itself is no centralizing factor for the network, further distributing the hash rate can't hurt. Should China ban mining and the hash rate drop while miners search for a new home, the Bitcoin price wouldn't directly be affected unless the market was to react to such a development. Quote, while a ban would be disruptive for miners in China, it's a nothing burger for Bitcoin and miners outside. Back <clears throat> generally skeptical of the idea of a ban further noted on Twitter. Bitcoin appears to be on its way to recovery from its latest drop to the $33,000 range. At press time, Bitcoin is trading just below $38,000. So Dovey Wan is, <clears throat> I hadn't actually heard from her in a while. And I normally don't hear from Dovey until China FUD actually hits the radar. And she's actually one of the people that is the most level-headed about how to actually reinterpret Chinese announcements into Western sensibilities. Right. So she's she's literally one of the, she's literally one of the only people that actually has a a fairly functional ability to be able to translate this stuff to a Western audience. Um, and I, I, I really enjoy her takes on this kind of stuff. So she is saying that this is much more serious than the other times. But then then again, we have Nick Carter's rebuttal saying good. Good, because that means it's going to decarbonize Bitcoin and is going to clean up the image, which honestly, I think even Nick, Nick Carter thinks is bullshit. But I think Nick Carter is smart enough to understand, hey, if you're if you're going to if you're going to try to do this, you might as well go with the narrative instead of against it, especially when the majority of the narrative has a lot more people than you got. So from that standpoint, I think, you know, what Nick's doing is basically saying, okay, okay, bitch, you want to, you, you want to decarbonize uh, this stuff? Then you can't look at, at uh, China banning Bitcoin mining as a bad thing. And he's also, but he's also right without, you know, actually any interpretation of this basically moving mining from China to other parts of the world. And China's just going to, they're just not going to be able to, to participate until they unban it. But depending on how long this quote unquote ban goes on, they're not going to be able to recapture very much of their mining. So what they'll have to do is they'll have to build it back up inside China from the ground up under a new set of rules or auspices or something. Because guess what? Once you do this, once you flip flop on an issue like this for an entire industry, that industry is going to find a new home. And then when China calls them up and says, you know what, we were just, we were just kidding. Come on back home. They're not going to go home. Why would you? Why would, a, why would a loved one return to a home where the other supposed loved one basically beats them all the time? That's, I'm sorry, but this is just like battered, this would end up being battered wife syndrome if they were to leave China and then run back when China says, I'm so sorry for my actions. Please come home. We miss you. They're not going to come home. Basically, you've just told an entire industry to piss off. This industry that they've told to piss off is one of the most important industries humankind has ever seen. China, you can have fun staying poor. Now, let's talk just a little bit about the dirty aspect and why China all of a sudden wants to go clean. Do you think that they actually want to go clean? I don't know. 
Let's find out. Uh, I came across this, carbonbrief.org. Uh, it's the world's coal power plants mapped as uh, 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 interact, uh, interactable uh, infographic. <clears throat> so you can kind of zoom in and see where things are. And lo and behold, guess where all the coal plants are? China. Lo and behold, guess how many of them are brand spanking new power plants? Most of them. I'm, I'm telling you, China doesn't give shit one at all about whether or not Bitcoin is, is dirty or not. They're somehow, for whatever reason, and, and maybe we'll get to that here in a, in a, in a bit, um, somehow or another, they're just, they're just LARPing. In fact, I've got this uh, carbonbrief.org map. Uh, it's a mapped world. It's a mapped... Uh, uh, mapping of the world's coal power plants and guess where most of them are china and the the fact of the matter is is that since you know 2017 and even as as early as last year and, and guess what they're actually still building them they've built most of their coal capacity within like the last 10 years and if you look at this map what you're going to realize is is that they, they can't close all this shit down not without some serious detriment and think about the misallocation of capital. Like they just, these are brand new plants. It's not like these are 50 years old and there's a shit ton of brand new plants. I mean, brand new, like a couple of years old, five years old. And there's a shit ton of them. It, those cost money to build. You don't just build them and then shut them down because somebody changed their mind or decided to have a morality sneeze, okay? This is bullshit. All of this is bullshit. They have no, the Chinese Communist Party has about as much plans to close down these plants as the man in the moon does. Now, here's what they're going to do. They're going to close down the old, really inefficient plants. But what they're going to say is that they're, they're not going to tell you that they're the old plants. And they're going to let the West interpret this as they're closing down all of their coal and they're, they're even closing down their new plants. No, they're not. They're going to close down their old plants. And, and this is also in carbonbrief.org. Again, this website is carbonbrief.org forward slash mapped world's coal power plants. What you're going to find there is they're, they say the same thing, that they are planning on closing some old plants, but they're being replaced with more efficient brand new coal plants. So this entire thing is, in my opinion, a LARP at a nation state scale. And honestly, it's embarrassing. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids are on fire. Get it? Okay. Oil. West Texas Intermediate is up 1.6%. Uh, $64.60 for that. Brent North Sea is at $67.51 per barrel. It is also light uh, as well. It is up 1.6%. Natural gas is down a full 2%. Uh, $2.84 gets you 1,000 cubic feet of that. Uh, all the shiny metal rocks are doing well this morning. 0.23% to the upside for gold coming in at $1,881.10. Silver likewise up only four times as much by one full point, 
$27.78 for an ounce of that. Platinum is up a quarter of a point. Copper is up a scant 0.1%. And palladium is up 0.2%. All the agricultural futures are down. Wheat by a whopping 2.5%. And uh, corn by 1.5%. Let's see here. Uh, the indices are all looking in the green, so they're going to open up. Dow Jones is going to open up 0.3%. S&P futures is going to open up at 0.43%. NASDAQ futures up over half a percent. And the S&P mini is up 0.44%. All of the bond prices got pushed higher this morning. 30-year futures price got pushed up by 0.14%. 10-year futures by 0.08%. 5-year futures by 0.04%. And the 2-year futures is unchanged at this time. Real money, $37,065 for one Bitcoin. Uh, 194,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours, which is low, by the way. That's 8,000 transactions on average per hour. It should be more like somewhere between 12 and 13. However, we have 977,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's about 40,740 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with 5 BTC as the average transaction value and 0.027 BTC as the median transaction value, so which is about $1,000. Uh, 12 minutes and 44 seconds is the block time, so it is high. Uh, we have 0.74 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 84.6 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 2.5% rise in hash rate, we are back up to 152.3 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin as normal, and it is standing at 32.5 US pennies. So there you go. We have 26,000 transactions waiting on 69 blocks to clear. We are at $704 billion of market cap, so we lost quite a bit. And we are back down to 5.74% of gold's market cap. However, we can still buy almost 20 ounces of gold with one Bitcoin, of, for which there are 18,717,191.75 in circulation at a price of 37625 according to wherever Clark Moody is getting his information from. There are now 1,350.5 BTC locked in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $50.8 million being run over 11,409 nodes that we know about, and they have 46,274 open channels that we know about. Tor capacity of the Lightning Network is remaining at 60.9% with 822.82 BTC locked in the Tor side of the Lightning Network and being run over 5,703 nodes that we know about. Taproot activation looking good. Yesterday was at 95.45% of miners signaling taproot. This morning, it is still at 95%, albeit it is at 95.31%. And if I look over at the overview, I've got almost like this last row of blocks has one red block in it. I think, I think in the face of all the FUD that we saw this weekend, I think... It's just, it's just my gut feeling. I have no knowledge. Nobody's called me on the phone to verify. You know, I'm not talking to Dovey Wan. I'm not that guy. 
I'm just a guy out here in the middle of the dark, you know, shouting at the, shouting from the rooftops. But I think that given all the FUD from the amount of sources that the FUD came from in the timely manner that the FUD came from, I believe that this time around, the miners are not going to pull any fucking chicanery. I think that they're just as pissed off as everybody else and they're going to form a unified front and they're going to activate Taproot and there's not going to be any bullshit about it. That's what I think. That goes against the grain of a lot of people in the space who think that they're just going to fuck with us again like they did during the Segwit activation uh, period. And they definitely did screw with us. However, we weren't being screwed with by external sources and being targeted as a group of people. That did not happen during SegWit. Yes, there was always FUD, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this. This is different. I'm, I'm going to say it. It's different this time. They're more scared this time. They've got, they, they, they see their death before them and they are coming after us. It's war. We'll get to that later. But right now, what I'm seeing is evidence of a unified front from the miners and that they're not screwing around and that they are going to activate Taproot and that at the end of this difficulty period, if these numbers hold, it will not take us long at all to get Taproot activated. I think it's going to happen either next difficulty period or the period after that. So is there anything else about this? Nope, nope, there, there's absolutely not. So uh, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. I want to begin this with with my thoughts on what occurred, like what's kind of occurred over the last two weeks, but specifically I'm going to center on what happened over the weekend. Now, as you know, Elon Musk basically kicked all this shit off. Now, was it solely, you know, his fault? I don't know. I'm probably I probably shouldn't give him that kind of uh moniker here, but he certainly started the trend. And as to whether or not that trend was manufactured is yet to be seen, but I believe it was manufactured and I believe they started with Elon Musk. So here it is. I'm putting the tinfoil hat on this entire thing that we've seen over the last two weeks, culminating in what's occurred over the weekend, in my opinion, has made it more than evident that there is a concerted, a very well-funded and a very well-coordinated effort to attack Bitcoin on the social vector, right? They can't do it on the physical vector because this shit's too spread out. I mean, they, they have no idea I'm running a node over Tor. They just don't, and they never will. And even if they, even if they did, th these nodes are so small, I could definitely gorilla this shit by figuring out a way to install a node and a one terabyte, two terabyte hard drive and yes, I'd be out of money, about $400 to do it, but to install it somewhere else and just keep doing it. I, and I mean, I would run out of money sooner or later, but if I wasn't the only one doing guerrilla node warfare, then, you know, I, I would be, if I was the only one doing it, it wouldn't work and I would be sad and I would have fun staying poor. But if a shit ton of people started doing it, it would be a thing. First of all, it'd be a thing of beauty. But second of all, even if there's no way you can go get all this shit. There is no, you don't have, countries don't have the manpower to go to all 170 or however many countries there are functional countries there are right now 
and find and root out every individual miner, node, and wallet. It's just not going to happen. So what's left for people that are scared, and they are scared, and have everything to lose, and they do, what's left? Social attack vector through media, social, social media, gen, uh, mainstream media, your favorite billionaire, you name it, dude. Anybody that can be got to has been gotten to. Now, what do I mean by that? Over the weekend, and I can't remember if it was exactly Saturday or Friday. It doesn't really matter when it happened. But there was one day, uh, it was probably on Friday, there was this one singular day that all the China FUD just dropped. And it was like story after story after story after story. And it was like, just like clockwork. And then we get into the weird shit where mainstream media starts dropping, like, and I'm talking like, you know, all of this stuff was being regurgitated by the Financial Times, Economist Today or whatever, the Economic Times, you know, you name it, man. If it had anything like, you know, if it had anything to do with written print media that had something to do with, you know, economics, they were covering this bullshit. Okay. Now, then we get into the regular non, non-essential or rather non-economic mainstream media stuff, and they're dropping it too. And it's just this regurgitated bullshit out of China. Then here comes the, this is the one that started freaking me out, was that Neil Kashkari, the Fed president or whatever, the governor over there at the Minnesota Federal Reserve Bank, started dunking on Bitcoin and all of, you know, and, and started re- basically repeating the dirty energy. Oh, and China, it's all in China. And then he said something that was odd as a reply to his own tweet. He said something to the tune of, since I'm dunking on Bitcoin here, and then he went on to say something else, which prompted a well-known personality in the space. And I want to think, I want to say it was Justine or Miss Hoddle, who, who was basically railing against Neil Kashkari and said, your lack of professional decorum at this point is concerning. And she was right because his lack of professional decorum was, was odd. I mean, he said some crazy shit, but he doesn't say stuff like since I'm dunking on since I'm dunking on, you know, X, Y, Z, this is what I get from the president of like, like a federal, like a federal reserve governor. This, I, I don't know, man, there's something weird about that. But then it got weirder because right after that, and this is, you got to remember, this is all within a 12-hour period on the same day. So Neil Kashkari, governor of the Fed, starts doing it. And then what do we see? We see the tweet from the Pope. Oh, my God, the Pope. I mean, Pope Francis, the, you know, the Holy See, the head of the Holy you know, Catholic Church actually tweets. He doesn't use Bitcoin in, in the tweet, though. It says all industries dependent upon on dirty fossil fuels must cease and desist and find alternative fuel sources and energy sources now. Now, you tell me that's not coordinated? Because right after that, Vatican City's Twitter account tweeted out something about them not allowing Bitcoin transactions or some such shit. So now the, the, if, if you don't know, the Vatican City is, is, is where the Pope lives. That's the, the, that's the seat of the Catholic Church. The Vatican, Vatican City isn't even part of Rome. It's not even part of Italy. It's owned and controlled as a small country by the Catholic Church. It's their own little island within the city of Rome. You can't go in 
you just can't go into Vatican City without like either a passport or like papers or something like that because it's not even it being a Roman citizen, you're not allowed inside unless you have reason to be there. And their account tweets that, and they did say Bitcoin in that tweet. And then we get Greenpeace, who says that they're, and this is, this, this is all in the same shit. This is all the same day, same 12-hour period. Greenpeace tweets out that they're no longer going to accept, uh, you know, uh, 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 Bitcoin donations. Guys, if you think that this is coincidental, you're fooling yourself. This tells me that Greenpeace, Elon Musk, Neil Kashkari, Vatican City leaders, as well as the Pope himself and China are, are all in on it. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but all of these people are the people that have the most to lose. Why? China. Think about their economy. The Vatican and the Pope. Do you have any idea how much money the Catholic Church owns? How much property they own? how much they stand to lose if the fiat currency system goes away. Do I need to even get into why Neil Kashkari might be slightly upset about a, an alternative currency that is private and not a like not controlled by him or his buddies you know over at the Treasury Department? Now Greenpeace is a different is a different deal, but green honestly Greenpeace hasn't been relevant since the 1970s, 1980s. All they do is go around in their ship and, and burn diesel and then tell me how I suck because I use Bitcoin. But they're in on it too. And then we get to Elon Musk. Going back, going back to the beginning of what, what lit this fuse because he did light the fuse. He stands to lose billions of dollars in, in, in fiat subsidies if this, I mean, he's threatened as well. But not as, he's not as threatened to the tune of uh, the uh, Holy Roman Church and China and the United States monetary systems. I'm telling you, man, this entire thing was coordinated. And it was coordinated alongside of your favorite mainstream media sources. If you think any of these people like you or want you to succeed, you are the conspiracy theorist, not me. Let's get into who is going to profit from this kind of chicanery. Iran's Bitcoin mining could be generating $1 billion in annual revenue, says study. Now, you can take the study with a grain of salt, okay? This is decrypt, and they have not read this report correctly. We'll get into why in a second. Let's just start. Will Gottesen has it for decrypt.co. Iran accounts for 4.5 of all Bitcoin mining, according to a new study from the blockchain data firm Elliptic. At the country's current rate of power consumption, Elliptic estimates that Iran's Bitcoin mining farms would generate $1 billion in revenue annually. In putting together their estimate, Elliptic looked at data from Cambridge University Center for Alternative Finance, as well as statements from Iran's state-controlled power generation distribution and transmission company, also known as Tavernier, which claimed Iranian miners use up to 600 megawatts of electricity. Still, the company admits the numbers are very challenging to determine. Cambridge last updated its per-country figures in April 2020 and pegged Iran's average monthly share of Bitcoin's energy consumption at 3.82%. Back then, the price of one Bitcoin was around $7,000. The global hash power has since increased substantially along with the price. The study also suggests that Iran has doubled down on Bitcoin as a way of skirting U.S. sanctions around oil exports 
less gas leaving the country means more cheap energy for Bitcoin mines, which is an attractive prospect, not just for local miners, but also for Chinese mining companies looking to evade bans, i.e. regulatory arbitrage. In effect, Iran is still selling plenty of oil and gas internationally. It just happening, uh, it's just happening on the level of electricity generation rather than the oil and gas itself. See, they're, they're not dumb over there. The electricity being used by miners in Iran would require the equivalent of approximately 10 million barrels of crude oil each year to generate around 4% of total Iranian oil exports in 2020, reads the study. The Bitcoin mining boom in Iran is also an example of how Bitcoin's proof-of-work consensus mechanism incentivizes a race to the bottom for cheap energy. Miners make more money when they're paying less for electricity, and the cheapest power sources tend to be the dirtiest. Okay, there's two things here. Decrypt has turned into an anti-Bitcoin magazine or, or publication or whatever it is. Please, 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 for the love of God, help me find another source of news because decrypt at this point cannot be trusted. They're saying that they tend to be the dirtiest. This is not, this is not true. The cheapest energy actually turns out to be the cleanest. This is a lie. I don't know why William Gottenson is, is trying to do this shit. Maybe he was told by his masters. I don't know. But the, the cheapest energy tends to be the cleanest. Wasted hydroelectric. Wasted flare gas, which when you actually put through a generator, is ends up putting out CO2 and, and water. All right, not, it's not a whole lot of pollutants out there because if that methane was actually released into the atmosphere, methane is 10 to 100 times worse, depending on the study that you read as a greenhouse gas than CO2 is. So you might as well convert it to CO2, which makes it actually cleaner. The second thing is, is that the elliptic report said 4.2% or 4% of all cryptocurrency mining, Bitcoin is included in that. And the way William has it is that this is all Bitcoin mining and nobody there is doing any other mining other than Bitcoin, which is bullshit. The elliptic study clearly states that it was 4% of cryptocurrency mining of which Bitcoin is part of. This asshole says nothing but Bitcoin mining. Please, again, I beg of you, DM me on Twitter or just tweet at me an, another news source because I need to get away from Decrypt. These people are have turned into some of the worst absolute pieces of shit garbage in the Bitcoin and crypto, essentially in the cryptocurrency reporting regime. It's ridiculous how quickly they turn every time that altcoin season goes up. They did this back in 2017. They were pretty good at reporting on Bitcoin. And then, all, and then altcoin season started happening. And the next thing you know, what are they doing? They're shitting on Bitcoin and they're praising shitcoins. And they got everybody wrecked. So please, please DM me. It's B-E-N-N-D-7-7, B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. Please find me another credible news source so that I can get away from this decrypt bullshit. All right, Bitcoin Magazine, which is one of my favorite publications. Blockstream acquires Adamant Capital and will launch a new finance division, says uh, Blockstream, or says Bitcoin Magazine's Peter Chihuahua. 
Bitcoin infrastructure company Blockstream will acquire Bitcoin hedge fund manager Adamant Capital to serve as the basis of Blockstream Finance, a new division focused on offering Bitcoin-focused investment products built on the liquid sidechain per release shared with Bitcoin Magazine. Blockstream highlighted its recently launched Blockstream Mining Note, or the BMN, a liquid-based security token that is designed to give investors exposure to Bitcoin mining as an example of the types of financial products it wants to provide through the new division. Quote, the groundwork laid by Adamant Capital will enable Blockstream to offer more innovative Bitcoin investment products following the successful launch of the Blockstream Mining Note, per the release. Adamant Capital, founded by noted Bitcoin influencer Tour Demeester, is known for its investment research and Bitcoin Alpha Fund. Demeester will serve as an advisor to Blockstream Finance per the release. Quote, Adamant Capital was one of the first fund managers to embrace Bitcoin's fundamental value and promote it as a sound investment for institutions and high net worth individuals, said Adam Back, CEO of Blockstream, in the release. Quote, their market reports throughout the years have been praised as a frequent source of insight into the Bitcoin community due to their in-depth analysis and accurate forecast, end quote. As a sidechain, Liquid runs in parallel to Bitcoin with a token called LBTC that is pegged to on-chain BTC managed and secured by anointed network members known as functionaries. This allows for significant scaling and flexibility improvements, but requires that users place trust in these functionaries. See, there's the trade-off. It's okay for these things to occur. It is not okay if you are forced to use them. And that's the difference between what's going on in the Bitcoin ecosystem and what's going on in Ethereum. Because Ethereum as the base layer is changing the way that it is doing things and is forcing people to trust functionaries also known as Ethereum stakers. In this particular case, ladies and gentlemen, you may not like Blockstream and you may have heard all manner of how Blockstream wants to control Bitcoin. I don't buy it at all. And second of all, the, the other criticism is, is that look how they're doing, look how they've done liquid and now you're, you're promoting a shit coin. They've told you the trade-offs. You don't have to participate. If you're, an, if you're a meth head at this point, you're going to have to participate and you have had to participate in every single change that they've made, whether you liked it or not, except for the Dow hack, in which case they had a split and the, some of the miners went off and created Ethereum Classic. Good for them. Because at least they were saying, bullshit, we're not taking this crap anymore. Once they moved to proof of stake, there is no forking the network. There is, you are, you are not forking Ethereum at that point. It will be so big and so behemoth-like that forking it will be out of the question for almost anybody except Amazon, you know, throwing an entire data center at the goddamn thing. It will be controlled by centralized characters who will be controlled by other centralized characters all the way up the chain. And it will never be, it will never be what Vitalik said it was going to be because Vitalik is a person who decided not to leave the ecosystem and he does like money and he will spend it and he will want to spend more. And because of that, he will do exactly what he's told as long as he keeps getting his money, which is the blessing that we had from Bitcoin when Satoshi Nakamoto disappeared. And we don't have to put up with his bullshit. But you are, if you are a meth head, you're going to have to put up with your boss's bullshit.
we don't. Also out of Bitcoin Magazine, seven surprising facts about Bitcoin Pizza Day. Yep, I thought I'd kind of end it off on a fun note. Pete Rizzo is writing this for Bitcoin Magazine. May 22nd is now forever known as Bitcoin Pizza Day. The holiday marking the date in 2010 when the first real world good was bought with the first decentralized digital money. Yet like every holiday, be it Thanksgiving or Valentine's Day, Bitcoin Pizza Day might say more about those celebrating it today than any of the actual historical facts. Indeed, there remains those who view the holiday as passe or even against the values of the Bitcoin community. What remains true is that by May of 2010, Bitcoin had a small but growing economy, one where Bitcoin were still mostly traded peer-to-peer and on some very small exchanges. Eager to push the frontier of Bitcoin commerce further, Laszlo Hanks, or Hanks, I can't pronounce his name, H-A-N-Y-E-C-Z, an early developer and miner, put out the call that he was willing and ready to pay 10,000 BTC for two pizzas, should someone be willing to take him up on the trade. Bitcoin user Jeremy Jerkos Sturdevant would agree to the terms and two Papa John's pizza pies would arrive at Hainzik's house shortly thereafter. History was made, but some supporting facts have been lost in time. In honor of the 11th anniversary of Bitcoin Pizza Day, we've compiled a list of lesser known facts about what's perhaps the most famous of Bitcoin holidays. Number one. $10,000 or 10,000 BTC was worth just $41 at the time. Though data on the early Bitcoin economy is getting hard to come by, according to Bitcoin user EnderX, Hanks could have traded this, his Bitcoin on an exchange for US dollars, about $41 to be exact. Should the figures be accurate, that puts the price per Bitcoin at roughly $0.004 dollars or four thousandths of a penny, actually it's four thousandths of a dollar, at the time of sale. While the figure isn't exactly zero, the price was low enough for EnderX to think Hanks might be getting the better end of the deal. His post ending up with a quip, quote, good luck on getting your free pizza, end quote. (laughs) Two, Hanks had to wait four days to get those pizzas. Sure, it's not as impressive as Satoshi waiting nearly 11 months for Bitcoin to establish a price, but by conventional food delivery standards, Hanks waited a while for his order. In fact, Hanks first posted on the Bitcoin.org forums on Tuesday, May the 18th at the time of writing, quote, I'll pay 10,000 Bitcoins for a couple of pizzas, maybe like two large ones, so I have some left over for the next day. I like having leftover pizza to nibble on later. If you're interested, please let me know and we can work out a deal, end quote. Even so, he didn't end up getting his pizza until Saturday. By Friday, some were even led to reach out about Hank's health with user BitcoinFX asking if he was getting hungry. Quote, I just think it would be interesting if I could say that I paid for a pizza in Bitcoin, Hanks replied. Jerkos would help him complete the delivery the next day, the transaction taking place at around 2.16 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, according to records supported by Bitcoin Talk. Three. Hanks bought more than two pizzas for Bitcoin. Hanks just, did, he didn't stop with just two pizzas, however. Enticed by the response, Hanks sought to push the limit in June, adding to his post that the deal was an open offer. Quote, I will trade 10,000 BTC for two of these pizzas anytime as long as I have the funds. 
I usually have plenty. God, could you imagine? He wrote on June the 12th, quote, if anyone is interested, please let me know. Rumor has it that there were other pizza order exchanges, and there's some evidence to hint that that might be the case with Hanks bringing his open offer to a close in August. Quote, well, I didn't expect this to be so popular, and I really can't afford to keep doing it since I can't generate thousands of coins a day anymore, he wrote. Thanks to everyone who bought me pizza already, but I'm kind of holding off on doing any more of these for now. That's not to say that he put his pizza buying pass behind him fully. In 2018, Laszlo became the first person to buy a pizza over the Lightning Network, though he paid just 0.00649 BTC at the time. As the Bitcoin pizza uh, pizza day holiday grew, it wasn't long before Jeremy Jerko Studevant would be thrust back into the limelight. He'd, he'd give his only interview to a website called Bitcoin's Who Who Who's Who in 2015, which was five years after the trade. To the likely dismay of current hodlers, Studevant said at the time, a currency is meant to be spent, noting that the 10,000 BTC he received made it back into the economy quickly by the time that they were worth about $400 in total. Oh, it's gotta hurt, bro. Naturally, there will always be people hoarding coins trying to get rich, and quite a few people did get quite rich, but they wouldn't have got that way without economic growth allowing it, he said, noting he felt Bitcoin was meant to be more akin to a PayPal or Stripe. Sturdivant added that other notable details about that transaction, which he says was finalized over IRC while noting he was just 19 years old at the time of the trade. And the fifth and final point is that Bitcoin Pizza Day wasn't widely celebrated at first. <laughs> Actually, it's not the, the fifth and final point, but I am going to skip it because we all know that it was only like the last couple of years that this has really been going on. Bitcoin Pizza Day wasn't the first Bitcoin holiday. This is important. Bitcoiners have been creating holidays for almost as long as the technology has been around. The first commemorative date set in 2011. At the time, Bitcoin users were keen to mark the disappearance of Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto, who had recently stepped down from his role as project lead, declaring April 28, 2011, Satoshi Disappear Day. I propose we make a Bitcoin holiday in honor of our legendary anonymous founder and to observe the fact that the Bitcoin community will be just fine after the inventor of Bitcoin left, wrote user Kiba at the time. Though Bitcoin Pizza Day occurred a bit earlier, it took some time for it to become a holiday, most likely because the price hadn't really risen very much yet. It's worth noting that Bitcoin Pizza Day in some ways seems to coincide with the Bitcoin for Payments narrative pushed by industry businesses from 2014 through 2016. And now the final one, the seventh one, you can still see the pictures of the real Bitcoin pizzas. Yeah, I, I tweeted this picture out, by the way. So if you want to see the original pizzas, it's on my Twitter timeline. Thanks to Hank's per penchant for photography, we've kept records of just what these expensive pies looked like at the time they were eaten in 2010. Hanks posted a total of five pictures of his food, which appear to have a variety of less than traditional toppings, including olives, jalapenos, whole tomatoes, and more. So there you go. We'll end it there. If you like the show, if you like getting the news on a daily basis, you know, you can support me by listening to the podcast on Breeze Wallet. Breeze Wallet does have a podcasting app inside the Breeze Wallet, and you can, if you would like to, stream me Satoshis while listening to this on a value-for-value value transfer, talking about commerce. We might as well end it with that one. And uh, don't forget, FUD is going to happen. If you think the FUD cycle is over, it's not. More is coming. It's going to suck. 
you just got to figure out how much you're willing to hold, how long you're willing to hold it for, what the constitution of your gastrointestinal system really is. And if you want to burn through, you know, through your soul and find out what you're made of, you huddle and you'll find out what you're made of. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.